Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Welcome into the Friday, February the 22nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's Mock Draft Friday, how the Dolphins could surprise most of the fan base, but not you guys, because you're all Locked On Dolphins educated, plus the Twitter mailbag, and we'll introduce a new segment to end the show. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. That's how the podcast gets out to more Dolphins fans, and that's the thing we need most here on the show. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins, and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. It's the number one blog in the Locked On Network, and also the number one most visited fan site among all Dolphin sites as well. And of course, last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, it's draft season, so check out Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Dudes podcast for all the coverage of the Combine Pro Days leading up to the big day in April. We have a busy show for you guys. Let's go ahead and get things cranking. That's another Miami Dolphins and it is Friday, which we all know means it's a great day to do a mock draft, to do a Twitter mailbag, and to get you into the weekend on the right foot. But before we jump into our mock draft in the first segment here, I must have missed this throughout the course of the week, but it was reported by Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald that Danny Amendola is not guaranteed to be back under his current contract with the Miami Dolphins. He is owed $6 million bucks for one more year in 2019. That, along with the report... The Devontae Parker is assuredly gone, but that surprises literally nobody. Not even Devontae Parker's mom thought he'd be back in Miami next year. And in this column up on the Miami Herald, Adam Beasley explores the entire receiver room as a whole, and he talks about how Kenny Stills could be the next guy of the group to be on the outs. I don't agree with that idea, but I can certainly see where that idea was born and where it comes in logically. And then he talked about Albert Wilson and how Carl Doral, the Dolphins wide receivers coach, absolutely raved about Albert Wilson. When asked about Wilson at his presser last Friday, he says, quote, he was pretty dynamic, wasn't he? He's very unique. He's a very unique player. I'm really excited about him. I hear he's doing a really good job with the recovery process, but you could tell when he was on the field, he had a number of ways to affect the defense and make the defense really pay attention to where he is and things like that, end quote. And going back and watching some of those September games, like the Jets game, for instance, that little move he put on after the catch, for the long touchdown reception, the Bears game we all know about. In that Lions game, the play he got hurt, he was about to break free and possibly take another ball to the house after breaking two or three tackles. So his impact on the 2019 Dolphins should be huge. I think he could be the focal point of the offense this year if the Dolphins don't really make the splash move at quarterback or otherwise. So Albert Wilson, they are very excited about him. And then back to Danny Amendola here real quick. And I've talked with a lot of guys on Twitter, people that refute the idea that Amendola could be on the outs. And you all know how I feel about that. I think it's a wise decision to move on from Amendola because he's not worth the six million bucks. He's a progress stopper for guys like Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. And frankly, I just don't value the veteran experience at that level. 
the way some folks do. So hopefully the Dolphins follow through and make that move and make this year more about guys that are going to be on the roster in three or four years, not guys like Danny Amendola. All right, it's Friday, which means time for another mock draft. And you guys know by now we always do these segments on the third segment of the episode, but I want to talk about something else in that third segment. And I also think this coincides with my topic I wanted to discuss in regards to this draft and what it means for the Dolphins because they both kind of work together. And let's just go ahead and rip this draft off real quick. Number one at pick 13, and this is without trades and with the idea that Kyler Murray is long gone off the board. So with their first pick, number 13, the Dolphins select cornerback DeAndre Baker out of Georgia. He's the best man cover guy in this class. And you're going to need someone to offset the cost of Xavier Howard at the other cornerback position when Howard eventually gets extended to the richest cornerback contract in the NFL. Pick number two at number 48 in the second round, Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State. He might not be here, but I'm fixing the secondary as a whole and taking charge at those two spots, and we are good to go with these two guys. I'll talk about that here in just a second. But moving forward into the third round, the Dolphins use that draft pick to solidify the defensive end position and go with Charles Amenahu out of Texas. He is lengthy, he is long, has great athleticism, looks really impressive at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, and I think he could possibly be your Chandler Jones type in this defense if you develop him the right way. So the Dolphins go defense, 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 and fix that side of the football right away. And if you can trade down in that first round, I think Jonathan Abram might be a great selection for them in the middle or end of that first round because the Patriots, the way they've always done business is they accumulate as many picks as they can. You get more swings at the bat and you get more chances to hit home runs when you get more swings. So I think that could be a philosophy they use going forward, accumulating more and more picks, trading down in the first round, second round, wherever it might be, they're going to find a way to get more picks, I think. And then also the absence of the front line players on the defensive line or the edge rushers, whatever you might call it. Well, this defense generates its pass rush through the scheme for the most part. And there's a reason the Patriots always let high level pass rushers go. Richard Seymour, Willie McGinnis, Chandler Jones. They don't want to pay for those guys because they can get pass rush out of Dietrich Wise, out of Adrian Claiborne, out of their linebackers and Dante Hightower. So I don't think it's going to be a position they invest heavily in from a financial standpoint. We're going to see guys like Tank Carradine brought in. Will Hayes might actually get brought back because he's a good scheme fit here, even though he has that injury history. I could see them bringing him back for a third year, despite the fact that the first two years ended in injuries. And I know he has that veteran tag that we kind of want to avoid going forward, but they're going to have to put bodies on the line somewhere. And if they want to rebuild the secondary the way I think they will, they might have to go cheap up front. And speaking of that secondary and why this entire mock is constructed this way, look, the Dolphins are going to play defensive backs, six of them on the field at a time, one third of the snaps, 33% of the time the Patriots ran dime defense. And then one of about every 10 snaps, you have seven defensive backs on the field. So that means you're dressing 10, 11 defensive backs on game day. The Dolphins aren't close to that. They're going to have to get way closer to that level and have to add talent and not just add bodies to that spot because the defensive backs in the scheme drives this scheme. So you're going to look for a lot of safeties and corners and guys that can do multiple things on the back end. Do not be surprised when that happens. I can almost promise you it'll happen this year, either high in the draft in free agency, they're going to be acquiring lots and lots of defensive backs. And then with that idea and this mock draft going forward obviously you didn't get your quarterback you haven't really repaired the offensive line the way you would like to 
But that's part of the two-year plan. Let's get Brian Flores' defense set and ready to go and be competitive in 2019, but then be ready to start winning games by a defense themselves in 2020 and hope that you find the quarterback that year. I think that could be the vision going forward. Again, I'll put the caveat in there. All of these bets are off if Kyler Murray it becomes available and they go in that direction. So just don't be surprised when cornerbacks and safeties come off the board when the Dolphins pick in April's draft. All right, we're going to spin things forward here and do the Twitter mailbag next on the podcast. In the third segment, we're going to talk about some NFL news and other random notes around the league. We'll get to that on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at NFL and the show at Locked On Fins. A little bit of Van Halen for you on this Friday, February the 22nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And Friday means it's time for the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put out the call for Twitter questions. You respond and they get answered here on the podcast. But once again, we have 27 questions in the mailbag. I'll get to as many as I can. I will stop wasting time talking about it. And let's just go ahead and do it. First question here comes from JT Evans. He is at JT underscore Evans. Making a selection at 13 seems like it should be plan C for Miami. Either trade up for your guy at quarterback or trade back and set yourself up for a rebuild. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, obviously, my number one option is go up to get Kyler Murray and change this franchise because a quarterback will change the franchise unlike anybody else in the organization can. And then there's the Patriot idea of going backwards and accumulating picks and really becoming more resourceful just because they know the numbers game of this draft process, unlike other teams seem to do. And that's why they always go backwards down the draft board and pick up a third round pick here, a fourth round pick there. They're very privy to the compensatory pick process and finding ways to get picks that way. So I think that the process of playing the numbers game, knowing that not everybody's going to work out and just taking multiple cracks That could be the new formula in Miami, and the Seahawks do that pretty well too. Another team that hasn't drafted particularly great in the first round, but they seem to fill out their roster every year because of that type of process. So yeah, I think that's a great idea, JT. Go up and get Kyler or go back and get a Jonathan Abram or a Chris Lindstrom or a Garrett Bradbury. Whatever it might be that you fancy, you can go ahead and just do it that way. Next question. And the next question here comes in from Jersey Finn Fan at Jersey Finn Fan. Jawan James, Devontae Parker, Rashad Jones. You got to cut one, trade one, re-sign, extend one, go. That's actually pretty easy. James, I extend. Parker, I cut. And Jones, I trade because of that crazy contract. And the fact that I just don't think he's a fit in this defense anymore. Next question. Next question comes in here from Juan Quintana. He is at the Diggler JQ. Will the Finns spend on a big free agent after the purge? I don't think they will unless it's Trey Flowers. He's like the one caveat in this entire uh, formula. I would be excited about Deion Buchanan from the Cardinals, also formerly of Washington State University. Go Cougs. But I don't think they will. I think that they'll try to roll over as much money as they can next year and be aggressive next year and just kind of accept this year just might not be their year because the roster at quarterback is not going to be that good. And Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are still there. So we're not winning the AFC East. We're not going to go on the road in the playoffs and beat the Patriots in Foxborough. So maybe you just push the can down the road a little bit and just accept that this might be something of a transition year for the Dolphins. Next question. Next question here comes in from 
Tucker State Tucker Saley at Tucker Saley. If the tank is a success and we land Tua, how many years until the Finns are legit contenders? That year, because if Tua Tagovailoa is what everybody thinks he's going to be, the rookie qu- quarterback impact it can happen instantly. Now they're gonna there's going to be bumps in the road like there was with Baker Mayfield. You probably expect him to start hot, kind of bottom out a little bit, and then peak at the end of the year. They can be a contender that season as long as the rest of the roster lines up. And if they hit on draft picks on the defensive side of the football, and all of a sudden you've got Jerome Baker, Rayquan McMillan, both being star, not stars, but very good players at linebacker. Minka Fitzpatrick is a star at this point. You've got DeAndre Baker starring on the other side next to Xavier Howard. I mean, you can make this thing happen in two years. That's why everyone talking about a three-year rebuild, that's not even close to realistic. It does not take that long to rebuild a team in today's NFL. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that it really ever did. Next question. Next question here comes in from Job Green. He is at Jobber73. Travis, I saw you retweeted Benjamin Albright about Kyler Murray needing an offensive line that takes wide splits to be successful. What are your thoughts on this observation? And thanks for making my morning commute a great listen. Hey, you got it, man. No problem. Appreciate the listen, the download, all the fun stuff that goes along with that. As far as the Benjamin Albright tweet, I retweeted that because I don't agree with it. I think that Albright's great for insider news reports, but the guy's not like a film savant by any stretch. So I don't see why we would take, you know, you don't, you don't go to McDonald's looking for a salad, even though they have salad, but I wouldn't go to Albright for that kind of thing because he's not a film guy and he's wrong. Baker Mayfield was in the same exact offense doing the exact same things with the same splits at Oklahoma Ram. That's just the style of their game. That's the style of the college game. And people just are trying to think of ways, manufacture ways to devalue a kid that's so supremely talented and they should just watch the tape and see what he does, the stress he puts on defenses and the overall lack of passes he had batted down in college to begin with he only had something like five out of 377 passes batted down in college anyway so i think he's doing just fine and those reasons are entirely manufactured next question next question here rolls in from sorry for the late sound there from chris murray at murray c 89 as you've talked about the potential to sign bridgewater as the quote-unquote bridge quarterback for 19 wouldn't this go against what ross said in the press conference or is it less likely now because he because he said what he did I just think that the Dolphins have to view this thing in a two or three year vacuum as far as looking at the quarterback position because beyond Murray and Haskins, none of these guys really has the current staying power as a long-term franchise quarterback. And if you're not getting that, what's the point? If Bridgewater comes and plays, he was never a like 13 and three level quarterback, a pro bowl level, all pro level quarterback when he was healthy. Why would we think he's going to be that after three years of a knee injury and never really having played serious game time? The one game he did play, he was not good. Now, I think Teddy Bridgewater can be very good for a team, like a good starter in 2019, but that's just not what the Dolphins need because what does that get you? That gets them back to eight and eight again. The Dolphins need to go out and find either a a high ceiling, high level franchise altering type of quarterback or just sit out on the process altogether and wait until they can find the one that fits the former description. Next question. Next question here rolls in from Jay Hinton. With He's at Jay Hinton 33 With no changes to the roster, what would the 3-4 look like next year? Look, it's not going to be a 3-4, guys. It's going to be multiple fronts with 2-4, 2-3, This front is very fluid and very different. They play more defensive backs. It's more about the coverages on the back end with the 6 DBs, the 7 DBs, the nickels, basically the base. So a 3-4 is going to be on the field probably about 5% of the time. So just get that out of your out of your minds altogether and think about Devon Godshaw playing the nose Vincent Taylor playing a three technique 
And then you have a five technique out there like a Tank Carradine or a Will Hayes, someone of that makeup. And then you have the linebackers with Jerome Baker and Raquan McMillan and then a whole bunch of defensive backs beyond them. So in all actuality, the base defense really is the fact that there is no base defense. Question. Next question here comes in from Abel D. He is at Rotomus Bowtie. What would you give up for Russell Wilson? You already said the farm, but what does the farm include? Probably some pork and some beef, maybe some chicken and some eggs. I don't know. But in all seriousness, probably probably two number ones, I would say, just because of the age and the contract, and then some sweetener in there as well, whether it's a day two pick, like a second rounder this year, a second rounder next year. It's going to be multiple high picks, but the conversation definitely begins with a couple of first round draft picks. Next question. Next question here comes in from Stu Rim. He is at Stu underscore Rim. Do you think Brian Flores and Chad O'Shea will be aggressive in going for it on fourth down like Bill Belichick? Or since Flores is a defensive head coach, do you think he will go more conservative? I think he's going to let Chad O'Shea be the guy that makes those decisions on the offensive side of the ball. If they have a play call they like, they'll say, go ahead and go for it. If they feel good about the field goal they have in front of them, it's all going to be situational based, just as it was in New England. If you guys had a chance to see the wired up or the sound effects, whatever that show is called on NFL Network for the Super Bowl, they were talking about the Patriots' decision at the end of that game to kick the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and one. And there was a good conversation about it. And Belichick was really open to the suggestions, and he was eventually one over by Tom Brady, of course, and kicked the field goal despite having a fourth and one in front of them. So I think every situation is going to be based upon the situation they have in front of them, and then they will just act accordingly based upon that situation. Next question. Next question here comes in from Mr. Stubborn. He is at Abduarte underscore one. Do you see a difference in how Flores will evaluate players for the draft and free agency versus what Gaze did? Do you know anything in particular that Flores will look for in players as opposed to Gaze? It's actually funny you mentioned this because on the Around the NFL podcast on, I think it was Wednesday, they talked about Adam Gaze having to find a way to rebuild the offensive line. And I chuckled because we all know that he thinks nothing of offensive guards and just throws trash out there. So the Dolphins Dolphins will be more, the positions they're going to they're gonna value on this team will be different than what the what the Dolphins did previously under Gaze, like the defensive end, for, for instance. They're not going to put a high value on a big player there, unless it's a guy like Trey Flowers that can play inside and outside. But yeah, it's going to be very different in that way. And also the heavy-handed, eye-disciplined, two-gapping players on the defensive line. Now, a two-gap guy basically has to read and react. A one-gap guy is athletic and wants to get upfield and attack. The Dolphins previously were a one-gap team, and now they'll be a two-gap team. So everything's going to change as far as what the Dolphins look for in a defensive player in this new scheme. Next question. We've got time for a couple of more questions here. Let's go ahead and get to this one from Sean Mawinney. He is at uh, SW Mawinney on Twitter. What tips would you give someone who is looking to develop a more detailed understanding of the sport than just that of an armchair fan? You got to read, man. It's all online or in books. You got to watch the film, but you can't watch film if you don't know what you're watching. So try to learn some stuff about techniques, about player techniques and fundamentals of the positions. Try to learn something about the, the concepts on offense, the coverages on defense, all that stuff is out there for you to learn. It's all it takes is a good Google search and you can really find anything on the internet. Next question. All right, we've got time for one more question here, guys. And if I didn't get to your question, I'm probably going to expand the mailbag to Thursdays and Fridays from here on out throughout the course of the off season because you guys are asking a lot of questions and a lot of very good questions and I just don't have time to get to them all. So the last one here comes from Alex Corrado. He is at Alex Corrado on Twitter. The quarterback position is obviously the most important, but with as many teams needing one in 2020, could the cost of moving up far outweigh any benefit? And I think that's actually a good point because this year, 
compared to other years in the NFL, there really aren't that many teams that need quarterbacks like badly. The Giants have a huge need there. The Redskins do. The Bengals, I suppose they kind of could use one because Dalton's never going to be the guy the way you want him to be. The Dolphins are really at the forefront of that entire conversation. The Jaguars, but they have that Nick Foles connection there. There's just not that many teams needing like the franchise-altering quarterback, the guy they view in that way going forward. So I think that maybe the cost could be less this year because if a team like the Niners, for instance, wants to get back into the draft and accumulate more picks, maybe it doesn't cost that much to go up to number two because of that idea. So I would start this entire process by saying, okay, if there's a quarterback in this class we like, let's try to find a way to get him, like a Kyler Murray, for instance. And if we can't do it, we're going to punt on the position and go after it next year. But if we can do it this year, that does change our scope of things. Okay, that's going to do it for this edition of the Twitter Mailbag. Thank you to all you guys that wrote in. And if I didn't get to your question, we'll come back next week and do a bigger mailbag to make sure we get everyone's question answered on the Locked On Dolphins Mailbag. All right, next, we're going to change gears here and open up a new segment on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. As we dredge on into the middle weeks of February, the dead months of the NFL, we have the combine and the free agency period coming up here very shortly on the NFL schedule. And the good news is I didn't even realize that I have a spring break ahead of me in my class schedule. I kind of forgot about spring break altogether. And what better way to remind yourself that you are a 31-year-old college student than forgetting about spring break. But the good news is Spring break occurs on the first week of free agency, so I'll be here to get the film study done of all the new Dolphins acquisitions if they do go after players in free agency. We'll have you guys covered on everything with the Dolphins free agency on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as on the Locked On Dolphins podcast and also the scouting combine here in about a week. We'll have the measurements, all the fun stuff from the workouts, the bench press reps, everything you guys want to know about the Dolphins and the draft and free agency. Of course, your home, Locked On Dolphins for all of that. But on the podcast today, we're going to go ahead and change gears here and talk about the NFL just in general. I want to kind of open the the scope of the podcast here on these Fridays during this dead period and really expand our horizons. And the thing I want to talk about today is these divas, the new age diva in the NFL. I'm talking, of course, about Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., and these guys that are trying to kind of contort their way into a position of power and being the face of the franchise, not just in the way of a guy that is a good example, in the way of a guy that's the best player on a team, but the guy that becomes bigger than the logo on the jersey. And there's just no room for that in the NFL. I'm not an NBA guy by any stretch. Once the Sonics left Seattle, I was out on that league. I did enjoy Dwayne Wade a lot in the Miami years. I was pumped when he and Shaq got that first ring. And if I'm being totally honest, I actually loved the LeBron years in Miami as well because I was always a huge Dwayne Wade fan. But I just don't watch the NBA anymore outside of the finals or maybe the conference finals in the playoffs. But I do know that the league has become a player-driven league. It's all about the star of the team, right? And not to be the old man shaking my fist. I mean, hell, I just talked about it. I'm only 31 years old. I'm a friggin' college student. I am technically a millennial. And while I do have some modern views on my palate, I'm still an old soul at heart. And the NFL is too in this way. It's never going to happen. These guys want to get the fashion catwalk going as they walk up to the stadium the way the NBA does in their funky clothes and their big personalities. But it will always 
always be about the decal on the helmet and the logo at midfield. You can just replace some of these guys nowadays with mid-round draft picks and alter your scheme to phase the stars out and make other guys more important in your scheme. DeAndre Hopkins was a second-round draft pick. Juju Smith-Schuster was a second-round draft pick. Antonio Brown himself was a fifth-round draft pick. Wide receivers grow on trees in the NFL these days. There's a million of them in college. They actually encourage guys these days, scouts do, to flip over and play defensive back because while the glory and maybe some of the big-time contracts come at wide receiver, there's got to be enough cornerbacks on the field to cover those guys, and those positions are kind of lacking in the depth fields. So go play cornerback and get yourself an easier path to the NFL because everybody already has three or four wide receivers. And those wide receivers are the most replaceable in the NFL. And frankly, the only position that can feasibly hold a team hostage like this would be a quarterback. But then even they can't because they have to have that trust and something of a teacher-slash-pupil relationship presiding over their present teammates in the huddle. Now, I don't want to disparage the talents of Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and Odell Beckham Jr. Antonio Brown is one of the smoothest, most technically refined receivers I've ever watched play the game, and he's super explosive in a way that guys aren't that combination of those two things. Odell Beckham Jr. is one of the best route runners and one of the most physically gifted specimens in his own right that way, and then Le'Veon Bell has the best vision of a running back I've really ever seen. So all three of these guys are superstar talents, and good for them for getting the money they've wanted or the money they desired and the situation they desired, but you just can't operate your franchise around guys and their personalities and their egos this way. Antonio Brown wants more money and wants it guaranteed. Well, what do they say about getting a bunch of money? You become more of what you already are. An asshole becomes a bigger asshole. A charitable person becomes even more charitable. So what do we expect Antonio Brown to stop being a me first, a selfish guy that doesn't really care that much about his teammates once he gets what he wants? I mean, this guy missed a Week 17 game with the playoffs on the line because he had his ego bruised. He also took a video of Mike Tomlin addressing the team after a loss, and he was doing a Snapchat or a, a Instagram or whatever the snap face Bill Belichick phrase you want to use there. He was doing that while Tomlin's addressing the team after a loss and laughing about it. I get that all these guys don't care about the result of the game, but at least pretend like you do and at least convey the message to the media, to the fans, and to your own te- your own damn team that you do care. So that's why I just think guys like this are not going to be worth the big contract, worth the big headache, because as great as they are talented-wise on the football field, they have a negative impact on everybody else around them. They affect the salary cap in an irreparable way that you have to budget out of other positions to pay for these guys. And when it's all said and done, what are you left with? You have a net gain on that investment. Ask Dominican Sue, ask Mike Wallace here in Miami. We know all about these types of guys. And I'm not saying those guys were necessarily divas. They were just guys that were bigger than the game and bigger than the team because of those contracts and because maybe they weren't the best personalities to have in your locker room. Okay, so there's our NFL segment, first one of the show here on a Friday episode. We're going to do those going forward. Get on Twitter. Let me know what you thought about that. But as for today's podcast, that is going to do it for me. If you guys have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull this thing up right quickly to get your education and your entertainment value on the Miami Dolphins. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. 
Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.